And once you have that, you can turn to uh, Luke 4. If you are a regular part of this church family, you know that for the last month we've been doing uh, a Christmas Advent teaching series, if you will, through Luke 4. Did you just get a Bible thrown at you, Kelsey? <laughs> Those deacons. Oh, that's a former deacon that did that, isn't it? That's why. <laughs> All right. Um, we've been going through a Christmas Advent um, study through Luke 4. If you guys don't know that word, I mean, we use that word, like Advent calendars and stuff, but if you've never heard it before, it just simply means um, the arrival of a notable person or thing or event. And that's what Christmas is. It's this celebration of the arrival of who? Jesus. That's right. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. That's 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 what Advent is for a Christian. Um, you guys have probably heard it before. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? He truly is. That's why Christ is in Christmas. That is the whole point for Christmas. It's become a lot of other things. But that is the point of Christmas. We're celebrating Jesus' birth. And we've been learning specifically as we've gone through Luke 4, We've learned specifically what it is that Jesus came to do, why God had to send his son. What what are those things that he came to accomplish in our lives? Because it's what he's done for us in our lives that makes his birth such a celebration. Amen? And Luke 4 tells us, the section that we're in, it tells us that um, at this point in time, Jesus gets invited to share God's word at the local Jewish synagogue in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, if you guys aren't familiar, that's where he was raised by Joseph and Mary, by his earthly parents. And so he gets invited to share God's word there. And he's given this scroll containing what we know as the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's in the Old Testament. Back then, uh, the Old Testament would have been the word of God to Jewish people. And each book was on like an individual scroll. And you'd have to open up this big thing. And he opens it up to Isaiah 61, which is what we know as a messianic text. Basically, it's a text that spoke of a coming Messiah that God would send in the future to the world to basically save the people of it. And there's a lot more to that, but in a nutshell, that's what the Messiah, that's who the Messiah was. And Jesus makes it clear in this chapter in Luke 4, in reading this and telling them that he is that savior of the world, that he is that Messiah that God had sent and told them was coming over 700 years prior to him actually coming, all right? So let's go ahead and get into Luke 4, and we'll kind of go through it, and um, I'll explain some things as we're going through it. Give us some reminders of what we've gone over the last month, and then kind of talk about what I want to talk about tonight. So, and I promise this is shorter. You guys know that with what time is to a pastor, right? It means absolutely nothing. So um, Luke 4. All right, 16, starting verse 16, it says, And he, this being Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up or raised, and as was his custom, or this was something Jesus did regularly, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, the synagogue was where Jewish people, still today, where Jewish people come to gather to uh, worship God, to study his word, and they do this on the day, the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was the day God told them to set aside to rest, to focus on him. So they gathered to do this on Sabbath day. And Jesus uh, was had a reputation as a teacher. And whenever you had a teacher, a, a rabbi, that was the Jewish term for a Jewish teacher, visiting, they'd often get invited to read the word, to share something about it. And he is that rabbi, or he's not a rabbi, but he's that person that gets invited in that day to share God's word. And it says in verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. 
And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So this text in Isaiah is written from the standpoint of the Messiah. It's this Messiah speaking, and he's saying that the Lord is sending me to first and foremost proclaim good news to the poor. So the first mission of the Messiah, who is Jesus, the Christ, Christ means anointed one, that's who Verse 18 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He has anointed him. Um, the, but this first mission of Jesus's was to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, we talked about a month ago, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but for you guys who have been with us, who the poor are. Who are the poor? Us, right? We're all poor. Why are we poor? I mean, some of you I know, uh, it's like, I ain't got a job. That's why I'm poor. Uh, no, but like, why? why are we poor? What's it talking about here? righteousness right like spiritually poor there's different types of poorness but in one way or another sin is the reason for all of the poorness that we experience in life even materially i mean you you can do something in 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 sin and it can destroy your life to such a way that it leaves you in complete physical poverty right that's just one aspect of it but sin leaves you emotionally distraught or poor it leaves you spiritually poor in that it separates you from God, because God is perfect and righteous, and because we have sin in our lives, we're not righteous, we're not right in his eyes. Okay, so it makes us poor in a lot of different ways. And we're all sinners. In some way or another, if we're being totally honest, we're all guilty in some way of disobeying what God says is right or wrong. Basically, sin is when we disobey God, we do what is wrong according to him. He thought everything up, he created us, he gets to decide that, he knows he doesn't make mistakes. And so we're all sinners. We're all in need of being saved from our sin. And that's what Jesus came to do. And he came to do that through telling us the good news and literally living it, being the good news in our lives and by through us believing it. And the good news is that even though we're sinners, God loves us. And he loves us so much, knowing that we can never live a perfectly right life with him. Therefore, we can never be reconciled to him, which is what he created you and me for. He created us to have a relationship with him. And so he so desperately loves you that he intervened on your behalf because you couldn't do anything in that sin. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus, God in the flesh, equal with God, God being made up of Three distinct persons, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, basically, God the Son, God the Father. They make one God. I know that can be kind of confusing. The way I look at it, it's like an egg. You got three parts to it. You got a shell. You got the yolk. You got the white. But it's still one egg, right? That's what the Bible tells us. God is made up of three distinct persons. And he sent his son, Jesus, to be born as a man. Now, think about that. That is a crazy thing that this is God we're talking about that sits on a throne and oversees everything in the universe going on because he spoke it all into existence, okay? This is God who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, and he was willing to come and humble himself and be born as a baby and grow up as a person. And in doing so, he lived a sinless life because the Bible tells us that no person can be sinless. No person can never do anything or do everything perfectly right we have this nature we're born with to do what's wrong 
And so God's son, Jesus, did what we could never do. He lived a sinless life. And then he died a sinner's death, not for anything he did wrong, but for everything I did wrong, everything you did wrong. He went to that cross and he took upon what the Bible tells us, the sins of mankind, all the sins you've ever done, ever since you could ever do. He, God placed that upon his son, the perfect sacrifice, and he died and that was the just price because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Sin causes death. It brought death into this world. Therefore, the right proper rate, wage for it is death. And God was willing to allow his son to die on your behalf so that you could live. So that you could be forgiven of your sin and made right with God through believing in that sacrifice. Understanding you need a savior to save you from your sin and being made right with God through that belief. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave just to prove if he hadn't already who he was. Because only God has the power over life and death. And later he ascended and he's sitting at the right hand of the father till he completes his coming back and his second coming and he establishes his kingdom on this earth. Amen. Christmas is two things. Christmas is one. We remember that Jesus has come and we celebrate that, but we also look forward to the fact that he's coming again. Amen. All right. So that's the gospel that if you didn't know that you can believe that today and you could be made right with God. All right. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And through believing that good news, it gives us this. We're reconciled with God. We're forgiven of our sin. We're given a relationship with him where we're going to spend eternity with him. As soon as we leave this earth, whether he comes to get us or we go to be with him, we were with him in heaven forever, never to leave his side again. And from the moment you place your faith in him, you get to start experiencing the richness. Instead of the poorness of sin, you get to start experiencing the richness of having a relationship with your creator, the living God of the universe. Amen. And all the other things Jesus came to do for us that we're going to read in the following verses, in verses 18 and 19, all these other things. They're made possible because now the Holy Spirit is inside of you. God's spirit is inside of you. And Jesus is able to transform you into the beautiful masterpiece God made you to be. Okay. And it goes on to say in Luke four, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So first, through believing the gospel, Jesus sets us free from being captive to our sinful nature. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. How when you're initially born, you're born with a nature or a tendency to do the opposite of what God says is right. And we know no better, unfortunately, but that is the truth. We disobey God. Everyone does in some way or another. You know, sometimes we look at people and we grade on a scale and we think I'm not as bad as that person because I've never killed somebody. I've never been to prison. God doesn't look at it that way, because if you're guilty of one sin, as far as he's concerned, you're guilty of all of them. It's that one sin that separates you from him. And he's not okay with that because he wants to know you. And being a perfectly right and just God, he can't be in the presence of sin without justly dealing with it, which he did through Jesus. But you were born with this nature and through your faith in Jesus, that nature that you were born with has been undone because now your father is in heaven and you've inherited his nature. 
And his spirit has allowed you to live and know, uh, to know what his word says is right. And then to live according to it. Not in your power, not in my power, in his power that lives inside of you. And the benefit of that is that anything he says is right is for your good. It amounts to blessing in your life. Blessing comes with obedience. That's what God's word always says. And so that means if you want to be truly happy, you will only find it living rightly according to God's word. The devil would want you to believe differently because he doesn't want you to be happy. He wants to kill, steal and destroy from you, but not God. God only has good things for you. And through your faith in Jesus, you've been set free and you can live in those good things. Okay. second thing. It's also through believing the gospel that Jesus opened your eyes to seeing sin in your lives that you need to be saved from. Before he came into your life, we know no better. We have to remind ourselves of our family and friends that don't know Jesus. And we wonder, why are they doing what they're doing? We look at the world right now and we see it looks like they're all deceived. They are. They're blind. We were once like them. But God's opened our eyes And now we see what's right and what's wrong in our lives. And we desperately want to live with what's right. We want to do what God says because we we've tasted and seen that it's good. And so he's opened our eyes. Not only has he set us free, he's opened our eyes to see what's right and good so that we can live according to it. In addition, through believing the gospel that Jesus has freed us from the oppression that comes with sin. Sin has a price it always has a consequence it has a negative outcome all right that's why you see it all the bad things in the world god gets a bad rap you hear people say sometimes well if god's so good why is the world so bad it doesn't have to do with him that's mankind's sin that causes all the destruction and harm you see in the world my sin other people's sin that is why the world sucks okay just to be honest that's why it sucks It's because of sin. It's not God's fault. But here's the thing. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, all of the hard things we face in this world, all of the things we dislike, all of a sudden, it becomes a temporary condition for you. Just a drop in the bucket. Because this is not your world anymore. You're a part of another world, another kingdom That you're going to live in forever. And all those things that you hate. That are so hard and difficult and painful. They're going to be gone. For eternity. Now you're still subjected. To the consequences of sin. Or the the things that suck while you're, you're here on this earth. I was subjected to it all week. I was battling the flu last week. All right. And as the rest of you men could agree with me. I felt like I was dying. So we're always dying when we're sick. Not literally, but it felt like that. But that was a condition of my fallen body. Our bodies, due to sin, can get sickness. But here's the thing, as I'm sitting there and I'm just miserable or whatnot, I also had this hope. Hope in the Bible is a sure expectation of coming good. Because I have a hope that one day I'm going to get a new body. When I see Jesus face to face, it says I'm going to be like him. And my body's not going to be subjected to sickness anymore. That's my hope. And so for any, and I'm not discrediting. Some of you guys are going through hard things. There are people you love dearly that aren't sitting here with you. You've got real sickness in your life. Not like the flu, like real sickness you're battling that could lead to death. You've got hard things. But they're temporary if you've placed your faith in Jesus. And you've got a reason 
to be hopeful. Because one day it will end. That pain will end. That missing your spouse that isn't here will end. Everything will end that hurts. And that's come through Jesus. That oppression is gone. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.17, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they will produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And here's the thing too. Even the hard things, Paul tells us in Romans 8.28, that God is working all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Not that all things are good. They're not good on this earth. But he's working all things for your good. And one day you will see that. Whether it's here or in eternity, you will see that he worked it all for your good. That's more another thing to hope for. Amen? And as such, sin has lost its ability to oppress or harm us. The worst thing that could happen to you in this life is death. That's become the best thing because that's an upgrade. All right? We're going, it's only getting better from here. And so as it says in 2 Corinthians, I think, or where does it say that verse? Death has lost its sting. There's nothing to fear anymore. And that leads to what I want to talk about tonight. The last thing Jesus specifically came to do for us in his first coming. And that's in verse 19. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, most theologians or commentators, people that study the Bible, they think what is being referenced here is what is called the year of Jubilee. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with that, The year of Jubilee was one of the many celebrations God gave his people to remember something. And this one was outlined in Leviticus 25, 8 through 22. It was something they would do every 50 years where God told his people, when this celebration happens, you guys are going to forgive and forget the past. You're going to start afresh. Basically, if there's people that are working for you as slaves, you're going to set them free and not require any anything if somebody has a debt that they owe you something you're going to forgive and forget it you're not going to require anything from it if if you're not going to work for this year you're going to just rest all right it was this year of basically people getting what they didn't deserve or they didn't earn it was a year of god showing his favor or his grace The Bible uses that term. It means undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. And this was a year where God said, I just want you guys, I want you guys to experience my favor and I want you to show it to everyone so everyone around you can see the grace of God. All right. The year of Jubilee truly was the year of the Lord's favor and it could be seen by everyone around them. And a lot of people think Jesus is referring to this here because Jesus comes back to his hometown. He's living in the Galilee area and he comes back to Nazareth. And in the year of Jubilee, all the people from um, would come back to their hometowns to do the celebration. And if this is in fact the year of Jubilee that Jesus is making a reference to, the, the, what it comes down to is what is he trying to make clear to them? And maybe you guys have heard this before, that for every practical example we have in the Old Testament, that's the first chunk of the Bible, the first two thirds, For every practical example we have in the Old Testament of something, it it leads to a spiritual principle that we learn in the New Testament. Because basically the Old Testament wasn't just for those people at that time. It was meant for us to learn from. And everything in the Old Testament, even though it was written before Jesus came into existence in this life, and even though we're under a new covenant through our faith in Jesus, we're not under the law, it all was there for us to learn uh, from. So we'd learn ultimately that we need a savior. We need to be saved. 
We need Jesus in our lives. That's what it was there so that everyone, when Jesus came into the world, they recognized their need for him, okay? So he's trying to show them that this year of Jubilee that you guys have do every 50 years, I'm here to fully fulfill it. Because what you had in part in experiencing these 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 um, examples of God's grace, like in, through physical means, he's like, I'm here to give you spiritually. Oh, you you get for, forgiven of slavery. Well, you're a slave to sin, and now you're forgiven of that for all eternity. Oh, you're forgiven of a debt of a hundred dollars. That was probably like millions back then, maybe like a dollar, something like that. But you're forgiven of a debt. Oh, well, how about this? The sin that separated you from God for all eternity, so you were going to spend in a place of eternal separation, eternal torment, that debt is paid for in full for eternity. So now you get to spend forever with God in heaven, in paradise. That joy, that peace that you temporarily experience when you get what you want or something happens that you enjoy, but then it goes away so quickly, you can have eternal peace. You can have eternal joy in having a relationship with the one that made you to know him. And it never has to go away. You can spend eternity experiencing God's favor in your life. Not just every 50 years, every single moment of every single day, you can experience his grace through faith in me. That's what the Bible tells us, right? John 1.16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Or I, I like the New Living Translation. It says, From his abundance we have received one gracious blessing after another. I like that. His abundance means that he never runs out. He's got more than enough. And the idea of grace upon grace is that every single, in, there's never an instance in your life where God is not showing his favor to you. Now I know it doesn't feel like that, but when you look back in your life from eternity, that is what is going to be true. Through your faith in Jesus, all of a sudden you've in, your inheritance as a Christian is never ending favor by God. Instance after instance of God's favor over you. Amen? And that's a game changer. That is a game changer in changing our perspective and giving us a reason to be hopeful no matter what is going on in our lives. No matter how hard or how improbable it might seem that something is going to work out for us, we can absolutely know God's favor is upon us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that should change our attitudes from being anxious or despairing to being secure and having joy. And we have a great example in a girl you might have heard of in Luke 1 named Mary. Somebody whose name comes up a lot during this time of the year. Because here's the thing. If you guys are familiar with the story, and I'm not going to go through it in detail because we're going to read that passage in the second half of our Christmas celebration tonight. But just to recap, and many of you guys know the story. An angel appears to her and tells her a pretty miraculous thing. You're going to be the mother of the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one ever all these Jewish people have been waiting for. That's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. You're going to be his mother. 
Now, as amazing as that, like we hear that, we're like, well, that would be a pretty amazing thing to be told. Look at it. You have to look at it from her perspective and you have to understand that culture because that was a super scary thing to be told too. Okay? Because in that culture, for a young, betrothed woman, teenager, to be found pregnant before having having not consummated that arranged marriage with her husband was a death sentence. I mean, if it didn't literally lead to her being stoned, which legally she could have been, it would have amounted, could have amounted to her husband she was supposed to marry shamefully just leaving her, her having a reputation of being unmarriable and having to provide for herself or have family take care of her. It, could, it would have been horrible. All right. And so all those thoughts are probably going on in her head. But instead of being fearful, instead of being worried, what we see in Mary in Luke 1 is that she has a heart of thanks and she has a heart of praise. And it's actually documented for us in um, Luke, uh, Luke, was it Luke 2? Yeah, 46 through 55, where she has a song of praise. It's actually, it's, we're going to read it later tonight too. But uh, so I won't go there. But basically, it's documented for us. It's documented for all eternity. That her her response, her heart was a heart of worship and praise. And I would speculate that this was because even though putting myself in her shoes or flip flops, I I wouldn't know. I mean, I, here comes an angel. Just just listen to this. Here comes an angel telling me I'm going to be pregnant, even though I'm a virgin. I don't know what the heck is going on, all right? Even though I don't know everything going on, even though in my mind, here's all these what ifs, these horrible what ifs. What if Joseph finds out? What if he, what if he doesn't want me as a wife anymore? What, you know, what, what ifs, all these horrible what ifs, even though all that's going in her mind, here's the one thing that she could absolutely know because it was told to her by that angel as well. This first thing this angel told her, God's favor was upon her. Specifically what the angel told her in Luke 1, 28 through 30, says, Gabriel appeared to her, that's the angel, and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. And here's the thing. Knowing that, knowing that, man, I don't, I don't know if I get this all. And there's a whole lot of bad things that could happen. But that angel told me, God's favor is upon me. God favors me. God wants good things for me. That's enough. I can trust that. I can have peace in that. And that led to her celebration, celebrating the birth of Jesus in her life. Amen? Family, just like her, we've got every reason to be celebrating Jesus' birth tonight, tomorrow, the day after that, for the same reasons, no matter what's going on in our lives, even the hard things, we've been given the greatest news we could ever receive. And through receiving that, you've been made more spiritually rich than you ever could have been material rich in this world. What the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 9 is, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ or the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We've been set free from being a slave to our flesh and the harm and destruction that comes with it. 
And because of that, you're no longer destined for an eternity separated from God in a place of eternal torment. You're destined for heaven with Jesus. And there's an eternal weight of glory. I don't need to know exactly what that is to know it's going to be awesome that's being prepared for you. You've been given sight to see your need for Jesus in your life and truly see what is good for you and what is bad so you can experience the abundant life of blessing that Jesus says is for you. In John 10.10, you've been freed from the oppression and harm that came with sin in this world. And you know that one day, as I said before, you're never going to see all the hard things. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more sadness. There's going to be no more worry or fear. There's going to be no more missing loved ones. No more stress. It's all going to end. And Jesus is going to be taking care of everything for you. Perfect peace, perfect joy. And we've been promised an eternity spent receiving the Lord's favor. And so again, I get there's some hard things for some of us are going through right now. If not now, we will. But like Mary, we can be comforted. We can be consoled in knowing that the Lord's favor is upon you. Through your faith in Jesus Christ, you have become his precious child And his only intent is to show you grace upon grace. Instance after instance of his favor. Amen. If that ain't worth celebrating, I don't know what is. So let's keep doing that tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for all the hope we have in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to come and live as a man, to be born into this world so humbly, Lord. We know the story. We know what historically happened. You just being born in a manger of all places, a, a, a barn with animals and living on this world, basically tortured and ridiculed, beaten and bruised, hung on that cross. All these things that you didn't deserve at all, but that I deserved for the things I did wrong, treated with no respect, the one that deserves all respect and honor and glory. And you did all that for me. You did it for my brothers and sisters here. You did it for us. And we're forever grateful because of what it's accomplished in our lives, Lord, as we've seen tonight. We're yours. Nobody has loved or even demonstrated love like that before or ever will in our lives. And so we're here to give you the worship and praise you deserve, Lord. Because you've more than shown that we're the most precious thing to you. People say that how valuable something is determined by how much somebody will pay for it. Well, you gave your all, you gave everything. You gave your life for us. So obviously we're the most valuable thing. We couldn't be any more valuable to you, Lord. And we want you to be everything to us, Lord. So be with us in time as we worship and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.